chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. We're on mission today in Acts chapter 3. Your New Testament goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then right after John, you got Acts. Uh, We're calling the series The Story Continues because we we walk through the Old Testament and how uh, the story of the Old Testament points towards its fulfillment in Jesus. We walk through the Gospel of Luke and see how Jesus fulfills the story, and now we're walking through Acts, seeing how that story continues to play out through the early church all the way down to us today. All right, all right, so Acts 3. Hey, I've been doing, uh, for about the past year, I've been doing CrossFit. Um, and that's really how I begin as many conversations as I can, uh, just whether it applies or not. Um, reminds me, I've heard, how do you know if somebody does CrossFit? Don't worry, they'll tell you. Um, and, and, you know, when you, when you find something that works for you, when you find something that changes your life, whether it's CrossFit or Juice Plus or uh, essential oil or coconut oil or apple cider vinegar or whatever it is, when you find something that works for you, you just want everybody to know about it, right? And so, um, you know, if you find something that, that works for you, that changes your life, you kind of begin to, to live on this mission of letting everybody know about it. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. And actually, I share that today because all of these little M missions that we have, man, I want everybody to know how great uh, essential oils are. I want everybody to know how great CrossFit is. Whatever, um, whatever that little M mission is, it points to this big M mission we're all called to be part of. We're wired for mission. The reason you find something that works and want to tell everybody about it and you live on a mission is because God hardwired all of us, each of us, to live on mission. He hardwired all of us to live for something bigger than us, to, to, to encounter something that changes us, that we want to share with everybody else. And all of those little missions point to the big M mission that we were created for, that mission of God restoring and reconciling this world to himself that he's called us to be a part of. And so if Jesus has changed your life, if Jesus has changed your life, uh, you can meet people in their need and share what they really need. Uh, if Jesus has changed your life, that means he has met you in your need. And because he's met you in your need, you can meet other people in their need. You don't have to have the same need as them. You may not relate to the specific struggle that somebody else has. You don't have to. But the reality is, you can relate in the sense that I was needy and Jesus met me in my need. And I believe that he can do the same thing for you. You can meet others where they are because Jesus has met you where you are. Jesus met you where you were. And that means in him, you can meet somebody else wherever they are and say, you know what, maybe I haven't been exactly where you are, but here's where I was and here's where Jesus met me. All right, And so the story so far as it's unfolded through Acts is we had, uh, we had Jesus ascending into heaven and telling the disciples, wait until the promise of the Father comes. And, and he tells them that you're going to be my witnesses all over this world, starting from where you are to all over this world. And the disciples prayed together and they waited and they looked to God and, 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 and the Holy Spirit baptized them. They were immersed. They were overwhelmed. They were, uh, they were soaked in the Spirit of God. And as a result of that, they began to speak the incredible words of God in other tongues. And, and people came around hearing uh, God's Word proclaimed in every language. And people, 3,000, gave their lives to Jesus. Um, and then Peter preaches this sermon that kind of unpacks what 
that's all about. And he showed that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament story. That, that he's the only name under heaven by which we may be saved. And, 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 he, he, and he invites us to repent and be baptized and place our trust in Jesus. And then we saw at the end of Acts 2 this picture, this snapshot of, um, the, of, of the New Testament church culture, the snapshot of a healthy church culture that's centered on, a healthy church is centered on God's word, uh, emphasizes Christ-centered relationships, um, emphasizes prayer and, and fellowship, all right? And as we've been walking through Acts, we've also been walking through Trinity's core values, and the first value, and then these spring at us right out of the book of Acts. So that first core value was gospel, that everything we do here Everything we do as a family, we want to be centered on and point to this truth, this gospel, this good news that Jesus is the king. The next core value is the relationships, that we value Christ-centered relationships. And, and we don't want to just gather here and, and maybe know half the people's names and then go home, but we want to go deep in relationships. That's why we do life groups and re-engage in other types of groups. And we, do those, we provide those groups as a conduit for you to walk deeply with people, to shepherd one another, to know each other. And today we're talking about um, uh, living on mission. And this idea of mission is this idea that God has graciously called us into His work. You know, sometimes when we're serving God, you ever feel like you're doing God this big favor? You ever start to look at it like that? We wouldn't admit it, but you know, I mean, I went to church like three times in the past month, so I mean, I'm, God's pretty impressed with me. Uh, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be down here volunteering in the nursery, really doing God a favor. Ah! You know, when we serve, we're not doing God a favor. God's not sitting there in heaven saying, oh, I, I wish, you know, I just wish somebody would come and meet this need for me. I just don't know how I'm going to do it. When we serve, we're not doing God a favor. We're serving the king. It's a privilege to serve the king. It's, it's this incredible privilege that there's a story that's been playing out from all eternity and it's heading toward this consummation and we get to play this small part in it. What an incredible privilege. And so God graciously calls us into his work here in our church, in our community, in our world. And here we talk about those kind of widening circles or ripples that, that we're called to serve God here at Trinity, here in our church family, here in our community, and then from there to the ends of the earth. That comes right from Acts chapter 1. And so this idea of God's mission that he's invited us into, it's woven through the scripture from beginning to end. That God is at work reconciling this world to himself, restoring this world to himself. And he didn't create mission so the church would have something to do. He didn't say, hey, I wonder what we can do so these people with their extra time, uh, you know, or this church, you know, with their extra money, so they'll have some place to give a, a few cents or on the dollar or something. He didn't create mission so the church would have something to do. He created the church so to be the people through whom he fulfills his mission. He, the mission was there already. God created us to be the people through whom the mission is accomplished. Pretty amazing. And so today, as Peter and John are going about their business, one of my favorite stories, they're going to walk into the temple and encounter a man who's in a mess. And when they meet this man who's in a mess, uh, they're going to be part of a miracle. And after the miracle, they're going to share an incredible message. Mess, miracle, and message today. So let's begin in Acts 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. That's about 3 p.m. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid uh, daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. 
and he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. So he's expecting to receive something, but he's going to get way more than he's expecting, way more than he bargained for. Okay, so Peter and John encounter this man, and he's in a mess. He's begging, and we're told that he has this daily pattern, this daily routine. People carry him, set him down at the, at the gate of the temple. Now, this is the, this is the center of all of the religious activity of Israel. And this man would not have been the only beggar there. There would have been dozens or maybe even hundreds of beggars there. But God knew each of these people by name. God has every hair on every head numbered. He sent Peter and John to this man specifically. So Peter and John have this rhythm also. They're they're daily going to the temple for prayer and for worship and for mutual encouragement. Now, it would have been easy for Peter and John to say, well, we're apostles we're baptized in the Spirit. We know Jesus. We don't have to go hang out with all these messed up people. A bunch of hypocrites over there. I mean, these people crucified Jesus. Why would we go hang out with them? That's not their attitude. Peter and John are faithful to continue to go and partake in worship. And their faithfulness paves the way for their fruitfulness. Their, pay, their faithfulness opens the door for their fruitfulness. As they're faithful, just doing their thing, going and worshiping day by day, they have this opportunity open up to be used by God. Um, that's really an important principle. Fruitfulness accompanies faithfulness. And the man asks for alms. He asks for a benevolence gift. He asks for a donation. And, and, and again, there would have been tons of people in this man's shape. He's in a mess. He's in need. Um, but, but Peter and John are sent to this one. They've probably passed by him every day. But this day was different. So we're not getting a formula here that the next person we see that's sick, go and yank them out of bed. That's not the formula we're getting here. If you want to look for a formula, the formula here is walk in tune with the Spirit of God so that when He tells you to do something, you're ready to do it. That's the pattern we see in Acts. Peter and John are in fellowship with the Spirit of God. And when God says move, they move. You want to be ready to do exactly what God tells you to do. So if, if we see a man in need or a person in need, whether it's a financial need or whether they're broken down on the side of the road, or it's a neighbor who's battling addiction, or it's a friend whose marriage is blowing up, and we don't know if they know Jesus or not, whatever the case may be, when we see people in need, one approach is just to kind of avoid eye contact. Are you familiar with this approach? If I just pretend that I don't see this, maybe everything will be okay. That's one approach. Another approach is to try to meet the tangible need, but only that. So maybe you see somebody who's in need of a couple bucks, you give them a dollar, but that's all you do. You walk away. Um, and then there's the uh, approach that's the very spiritual approach. So one time, my buddy and I, we, we had gone to New Jersey for a wedding. I, I've shared this before. Um, rented the smallest rental car that's ever been made. And our heads were like poking out of the roof. And, and, uh, and I forgot that it rains in other parts of the country. I, I had forgotten this. And so we're driving. I missed the, I was on the interstate in Pennsylvania. And, and, and I, missed, um, I missed a turn. And so I thought, well, I'll just do a, I'll just do a U-turn through the, uh, through the median here. And, and it had been raining a lot there, apparently. And I did the U-turn and just down all the way to the top of our tires. And we could not get out. But this guy stopped and he was really helpful. I think he was a pastor. You know, you know, pastors have that kind of look about them. And, and, um, and he stopped and he asked if we needed some help. And we're like, man, we're, we're desperate, we're stuck. And he's like, well, here's a tract. And it was a tract about how to get saved. And then he went and got back in his car and he drove away and he left us there. And I was like, this is why, uh, this is why people don't go to church. This is why, this is like, why are you this way? And so 
And so he could have, I would have been happy if he'd have just said something corny like, well, is your life stuck too? Because let me tell you about Jesus. That would have been better, okay? Or, or maybe just help us meet the tangible need, you know? So is the tangible need the be-all, end-all? No, but the tangible need is a doorway. It's a conduit to meet the greater need. When we see people in need, that tangible need, whether it's a marriage blowing up or whether it's a, a struggle with finances or whatever it may be, whether it's addiction, that tangible need is an opportunity to point to the deeper need. The stated need is an opportunity to share the deepest need. So uh, there was a lady that stopped here Wednesday night. I was in here with the fifth graders. Travis was teaching the fifth graders, and he was doing a phenomenal job, and I was kind of soaked into the lesson. And Janie came and, and, and opened the door and pointed at me and did like this, and the kids were like, ooh, and they thought I was in trouble, and I kind of thought I was in trouble too. And, and um, went out to the foyer, and, and there was a woman that had stopped passing through. She said she had cancer, and, and uh, she had a lot of scarring, and she was, uh, but she couldn't speak English. And so Janie got me, um, and, uh, and we had kind of an ax two thing, like I was trying to, you know, it was like the gift of tongues. It was like, Lord, please give me the words in Spanish to communicate with this person. And Mandy uh, was on her way to Aspermont to go to her mom's and to continue uh, cancer treatment, needed gas money. She'd been staying in her car. And as best as we could, we tried to engage Mandy and Janie and I went and we got her a little gift card for gas because we could meet that tangible need. And it would have been really tempting. And sometimes we fail and we do this and, and, and we just leave it there. Here's, here's, here's a couple bucks, be on your way. But Wednesday night, you know, Janie and I just gathered around Mandy. We talked to her as best as we could. And I did my best to pray in Spanish, which I think halfway through I gave up and I went back to, to English. But, but she got it. And, and we were able to take that starting point of that, of that physical need and we were able to move into what's the real need here? What's the deeper need here? And notice that Peter tells, we're told that Peter looks intently at the man. You know, it's tempting to just hide our face from people that are struggling, whether they're struggling financially or whatever way. But Peter looks intently at the man. You may not have the solution to the person's problem. You may not have the answers. You may not have been there. But one thing you can always do for somebody that's struggling is you can give them your face. That's one thing. If we're going to live on mission, one thing, and, and, and this, this is such an important thing, is we can look at people and give them our face. We can see that person. Uh, it's easy to get caught up in our phones. It's easy to get caught up in our shame. It's easy to get caught up in our busyness. But when somebody is in need, the most important thing you can do, or to start, is give that person your face. And then Peter says, look at us. Why does he say that? Well, the man's not looking at Peter's face. Where is he looking? He's probably looking at the ground. Why? Because the man is stuck in his own shame. And Peter is basically saying, let me see your face. Let me see your eyes. Whatever else you give or don't give, give your face. Um, so this is the first, so that's the mess. Now there's a miracle here. This is the first miracle after the ascension of Jesus. And miracles are frequent all the way through Acts. And if we understand this first one, we kind of have a pattern to understand all the rest. And Peter says, silver and gold have I not. He says, I don't have any money. Now, I'm, I'm trusting Peter that that was the truth, okay? He left his wallet in his other pants or something. He's not saying, he's not making this up. It's telling the truth. He's not saying to us that we're not supposed to like, sometimes I hear this passage and people say, well, don't give money to people. That's not the point. He didn't have any money, okay? That's why I did. But the money need pointed to the deeper need, which was a physical need, health need, and that health need pointed to a deeper need, which was the man needed to be rescued from his slavery to sin and become a child of God. So there's times that we meet tangible needs. There's times that you may give somebody money, but you don't have to stop at that. Be so generous that you give more than money 
you give the gospel to. Don't be like the preacher that came up and gave me a track and then drove away. Help with the tangible need, but let that tangible need be a segue into where are you with Jesus? Ask that question. Or Jesus has changed my life. Can I talk with you about him? Where are you with him? Can I pray with you? So, so Peter's not copping out. There's just so much more that he has to give. So let's read that beginning in verse 6. Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. Look, he's generous to give what he has. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This miracle points in four, according to Tim Keller, this miracle points in four different directions. Keller says this miracle points in four different directions. One, this miracle points upward. A miracle points beyond us to Jesus. And when Peter gives this message, he's not going to make it about him. Yeah, did you see how I worked that miracle? He's going to say this was not us. It wasn't our power. It was Jesus. He's going to point uh, beyond this thing that happened to Jesus. Every sick person didn't get healed that day. And a lot of days had passed before this sick man got healed. But the miracle is there to point beyond itself to um, the healing that's found in Jesus. The most important healing the man received was he went from being a slave to sin to a son of God. The miracle pointed up to Jesus. The miracle pointed forward to this day that's going to come, that everything's going to be made new. Miracles point beyond themselves to the future restoration that's coming. See, miracles are like a sign. Uh, signs and miracles are used together. Uh, if you went to Las Vegas and you stopped at the, pop, at the, at the city limit sign and took a bunch of pictures with the, with the, pop, with the uh, city limit sign and then came back and people said, let me see your picture to Las Vegas. You say, well, here's me looking at the city limit sign. Here's me standing in front of the city limit sign. Here's me hanging from the city. And people are going to say, what about the, like the, the buffets or the, the, the um, casinos? No, no, no. We just went to the sign. and then we went. The sign points beyond itself to the real thing. And miracles point beyond themselves to the ultimate healing that's found in Jesus. Restoration found in Jesus. So it points upward, it points forward to this day that's coming that everything's going to be set right. Joni Erickson Tata, who's been, um, who's been uh, paralyzed since she was a teenager, an incredible Bible teacher, she says this. She says, at that great marriage supper of the Lamb, the first thing I think I'll do on resurrected legs is fall to my glorified knees and praise the God of resurrection and healing, and then I will stand and dance before Him with all my might. Miracles point forward to that day. Miracles point inward to our deepest need was so, more important, so much more important that the man go from being a slave of sin and becoming a, ch- a child of God. Miracles point downward. You know, that's the direction a missionary, and whether you're a missionary in Sweetwater or somewhere else, living on mission means we go downward. Jesus humbled himself. Peter and John don't walk into the temple to a standing ovation. In the next chapter, they're going to be in a lot of trouble for what they've done. The path of mission is the path of servanthood and confusion. That's the example we have in Jesus and the apostles. So we have some extreme views of miracles and of healing specifically. Some people say, you're not healed because you're not praying right and you don't have enough faith. Have we, we heard this one before? If you just had more faith, if you prayed right, then you'd be healed. That's, that's not biblical. That's not true. Um, 
there were lots of people there that didn't get healed that day. Another, another extreme is that says, hey, God doesn't do that kind of stuff anymore. We heard that one? That was just for the Bible. God doesn't do that anymore. That's an extreme. Neither of these extremes are biblical. Neither are rooted in Scripture. God still does crazy, amazing, miraculous things. And I've gotten the privilege of seeing some of them. But even when those things happen, they point beyond themselves to the kingship of Jesus Christ. They point to something bigger. All right? And so when, when we're a church or we're, we're believers or making a big deal out of Jesus, crazy stuff is going to happen. And we need to expect that. But we don't chase miracles. Miracles follow those who believe. And finally, there's the message. Peter preaches a message. While, he clung, while the man clings to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power of piety we've made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. And and what Peter's message says is Peter's message makes it plain that it's not about us. It's not because we're great that this man was healed. Jesus is at the center of Peter's message. Jesus is the true healer, the true savior, the true miracle worker. Peter's going to talk about how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets and everything Abram looked for and Moses looked for. And then, and then Peter's going to call these people, these believers, to repent and to believe. This message was needed because if it hadn't been for the message, nobody would have understood the miracle. You know, we're called to love people in word and deed. We, we see how, we've seen how messed up it is when, when Christians just say the words, but their actions don't back it up. Um, words without deeds are hollow. But deeds without words are misunderstood. The words explain the why of the deeds. And if I serve somebody else and I fail to explain the why, what I'm running the risk of is they're just going to think, well, that Matt's just a great guy. What a great guy Matt is. Um, that's not the punchline that I want to leave somebody with. The punchline I want to leave with is, man, Jesus is a big deal. That's why sharing the message is so important. So um, I realized uh, a few days ago that I've been, a really, I've been a really bad neighbor. And there's a lady a few houses down from me, who, from us, who, you know, um, I've gone back and forth about sharing this because I don't want to be like, well, look at this great thing that I did. Well, I'm prefacing the good thing by saying I've been a really sorry neighbor for four years, okay? Um, But I've been been taking uh, this lady Meals on Wheels for a while now. Uh, Our staff rotates doing that. And she's just a few houses down from me. And the other day, I'm like, you know, this lady, um, I don't even know her. And she's just a few houses down. And I I went to drop off the the, the food Wednesday, and her, her yard was like this high. And as I pull up in her driveway, I thought to myself, somebody really needs to mow this yard for her. And then I thought, yeah, she's probably got somebody to do that. You know, I knock on the door and we're talking. I said, hey, I just, you know, I live just right in this house down here. Holler if you need anything. Is there anything you need? And she's like, well, I, I could really use somebody to mow my yard. And I was like, all right, I, you know, I think I, we, we can get that done. We can get that done Saturday. I'll be here Saturday. And so me and Ava and Alma went Saturday and we mowed and we did, and the girls worked so hard. And, and, uh, and, and afterwards, she came out, and she had some money, and she wanted to give the girls. And there was, like, it was quite a bit of money, and the girls were like, and uh, I was like, no, um, silver and gold, have we not? No, I was like, hey, um, we're not doing it for that. Keep your money. 
I said, we did this because Jesus has changed our lives. And I believe Jesus can change your life. And I don't know where you are with Jesus, but can we pray with you? And me and the girls prayed with her. And was it awkward? It's, it's even awkward for me to do that one-on-one. I stand up in front of people all the time. Um, but that message, even just to that degree, that message clarified that we're not doing this because we're great. We're doing this because Jesus is great. And that's why sharing the message is so important. Peter and John gave generously more than was asked. They gave the message. And Becky Acuna, I'm going to embarrass Becky, but Becky is probably the most gifted person I've ever known at this. Becky walks into a room and she can meet tangible needs all day long and then, and then flip that into a conversation about Jesus. Becky walks into a room and dares somebody to give her an excuse to talk about Jesus. It's an amazing gift. It's not just a gift, though. It's a skill that she's practiced and that she's developed for years. She's a great example to me. And there's times that I'm talking with somebody, I ask myself, you know, what would Becky say in this situation? What would Becky do in this situation? And I try to do that thing. It's a great example. Um, so there's a mess, there's a miracle, there's a message. As, as the band comes up, we're just inviting you today, a great next step here today. How can you join God's mission? We've got ways that you can join God's mission right here in the church. Right here in our community. All around the world. We've got Vacation Bible School coming up the first week of June, June 4th through 8th. It's going to be at the shop, 10.30 a.m. Great way to, to invest in children's lives, help children have a significant summer, and you can be a significant part of that. We've got Laundry Love one Saturday a month. The shop, somewhere at the shop, is going to be going on all summer long from 10.30 to 2. Becky can tell you how to get, a, get involved in that. There's ways that you can plug in and serve our community from serving children from this big to senior adults all the way um, at at the other end. Um, Serve our community at the shop or laundry lab. We've got a team going to Rwanda that you can bless. We've got teams that go all over this world. God's called you to impact our church, our community, and our world. And Peter's message ends up with these words, repent and believe. That's the first first step wherever we are, to turn from ourselves, to turn from our sin, to place our trust, our confidence in Jesus. Or maybe our repentance looks like, you know what, Jesus, even though I know you, I haven't been living for you. I've been living on a mission for myself. I haven't been living on your mission. So you have an opportunity to respond. Maybe your next step is to place your trust in Jesus. Maybe your next step is to follow him in baptism. Maybe your next step is to express commitment to our church family, join in membership here. Maybe you need to pray. Brother Richard's at the back. I'm here. Brother Will be here. Let's stand together.